The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will, not, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Let me say good morning to you all again, and um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Brent, one of the pastors here at Christ City Church. Um, We're going to turn to the Word of God now, and yet another exciting passage in 1 Corinthians. And we will turn to him in prayer to ask for his help as we begin, and I'd ask that you join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come not to our opinions not to our own words, but to your word this morning. Father, we ask that you would use your word to speak truth into our lives. Father, we ask that you would use your word to clarify your reality and our purpose as your creation. Father, would you use your word to lift Jesus Christ high to give us hope, to free us from sin, to cause us to live into who we are as those who have been resurrected to be united with Jesus forever. We ask this in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in the past couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians that we've looked at, Paul's been arguing for pure moral conduct for the church especially in regards to sexual immorality. He keeps touching on this topic. And he's been arguing following this sort of a pattern. He's been arguing from something that he'll say about who the Corinthians are, describing their identity, and then arguing to how that identity must be worked out in terms of their behavior, from identity to behavior. And now at the end of chapter 6, Paul summarizes this section about sexual immorality before jumping on to another topic. So in chapter 7, he's going to look at marriage and singleness and divorce and how we're to think about that as Christians. But he summarizes this section right now about sexual immorality. And in this passage, as he summarizes this section, Paul directly confronts the thinking that led the Corinthian church to sexual immorality in the first place. He takes his gloves off, as it were, and just goes after all the things 
that led them to this point and for the reasons of why they had to be confronted by Paul in the first place. And he gives two commands. You may have seen them as we read the text. And actually, that's perfect. I was going to say, we just leave the text up this morning. That's awesome. He gives two commands. There's two commands, two imperatives in this text. They are flee sexual immorality and glorify God with your bodies. Two commands, flee sexual immorality and glorify God with your bodies. And he has four reasons, which are our outline this morning. Four reasons for these commands. So flee sexual immorality and glorify God with your body because your bodies aren't meant for selfishness, but to serve others in love. That's reason number one. Number two, because your bodies aren't meant for the Lord, or because your bodies are meant for the Lord. Number three, because your bodies have been united to Jesus Christ. And number four, because your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. Flee sexual immorality and glorify God with your body because your bodies aren't meant for selfishness, but to serve others in love. Because your bodies are meant for the Lord. Because your bodies have been united to Jesus Christ. And because your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as we unpack this text, we look at what Paul's saying to us here. It's my prayer that God would use this text in a couple of ways. First of all, I've been praying this week that, that he would use this text to free you from the slavery, and it is slavery, of trying to find your fulfillment through sex or through a sexual identity. And then he would open your eyes to see that your body, the one that you have, you present in this room, that it has a purpose that was created by God to love him, to be loved by him and to live in obedience to him. That's the purpose you're created for. So I'm praying that God will use this text to help us to see these things. But before we get to our first point, I want to consider a little bit of historical context together in order to orient us, orient us to this passage and towards the sexual immorality Paul was talking about. So Corinth, as we've said before in this sermon series, but we better say it again, was a place where the sexual norms in Corinth were far from Christian. Right? We might think, well, Brent, we're a long ways away from the teaching of the Bible. You know, our culture is different than the Corinthian culture. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> the Corinthian culture was just like our culture. Sexual immorality was the norm. It was the norm. If you walk through the streets of Corinth, you'd be able to visit all kinds of various temples along your walk. Temples and shrines to Athena and Asclepius and Apollo and Adrastia and others. And at some of those temples, you could even go in and buy some time with a prostitute as part of your worship. This is normal, accepted spiritual and sexual practice in Corinth. Moreover, Corinth was a port city. It was a trade city. It had a ton of traffic and a lot of travelers going through it. And really it had as many opportunities for you to satisfy your sexual desires as you had a whole variety of sexual desires. And as there were travelers on any given day looking for their desires to be satisfied in this port city. It was sort of this mix of an ancient New York and opportunity and commerce mixed with Bangkok and sexual tourism. And it was an ancient Roman city. And that meant that as an ancient Roman city, it didn't follow modern 
Christian sexual mores, and it certainly didn't follow even our secular modern mores. It followed ancient Roman sexual mores, and they were different. And at least one of the differences that we ought to point out was that in that ancient Roman society, if you were a man who had a position and had some wealth, then it was your right to have sex with what was yours or, what was with beneath, or, or even with what was beneath you in society. So you could use your influence and your power to satisfy yourself sexually in the ways that you wanted. And it was normal. That was part of the Corinthian culture. You see, Corinth was a place where sexual immorality was everywhere, even in the Corinthian church. This often happens in churches where we adopt a lot of the things from our culture that don't belong in the church. We need someone like Paul to be teaching to us how to separate those things out. But the the sexual immorality of their culture had seeped through the walls and in the church. So Paul confronts them. He confronts them last of all in this passage. Look at verse 12 as we start unpacking our first point. Paul says, we must glorify God with our body. We must flee sexual immorality. Point number one, because our bodies are meant to serve others in love. So look at verse 12 and see what Paul says there. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So the Corinthians, they would have resonated as a culture, as a people with our modern sentiment, my body, my choice. It's my choice. And they even had a slogan. I want you to look at the text there. Notice the quotation marks. Paul's not quoting his words. He's quoting the Corinthians' words back to them. They had their own slogan saying, all things are lawful for me. So they believed they were free people who could use their freedoms to indulge their desires. But they were also Christians who believed what the Bible taught about sexual immorality. So you might be wondering right now, how could that be true? How could they believe what the Bible taught about sexual immorality and also believe that they were free to indulge sexual immorality. Well, let me explain. What had happened was that they had become influenced by a group of people who taught that because Christians were saved by grace as a gift, because Christians are not people who save ourselves by doing good works, well then, it's got to be fine to indulge our desires once in a while. Right? We can do these things. We can, we can indulge our sexual immorality because we're just saved by grace anyway. God's forgiving us. He's going to forgive us. We have freedom then to live at times in permissible ways, you know, doing some sinful things because we're saved by grace as a gift. So we have a freedom in Christ even to sin. And they'd say things like this, all things are lawful for me. And that didn't mean that every sin was okay in the eyes of God. That's not what they thought that meant. It meant that every little sin is sort of permissible in the eyes of God because I'm saved by grace and not by works. So I can indulge my sexual immorality and I can be okay and Jesus' grace will cover me. And Paul confronts them. <laughs> he quotes to them, all things are lawful for me. He quotes it back. He says, but not all things are helpful, Corinth. But not all things are helpful. 
says, yes, you are free in Jesus from having to earn your salvation and from having to somehow have a perfect righteous life. But you aren't free to do anything that you please, Corinth. You are not free to do anything that you please. Because that sort of freedom is helpful to nobody. Why? Why is it helpful to nobody? Because if you're free to do whatever you please, that means that everybody else around you is free to do whatever they please as well. And when that happens, your freedom and their freedom are going to come into conflict with one another. And you can't all be free in the same way at the same time. I know this in my marriage. I know it in my marriage. I know it in the way that I have a right. I am free to have the bed covers. But my wife is also free to have the bed covers. And you can believe me that there are times when our mutual freedoms come into conflict with one another and I wake up very cold. Our freedoms, it seems, are a zero-sum game and it results in conflict in our lives. You know, there's a famous philosopher who talked a lot about this. His name was Jean-Paul Sartre. And once he wrote this, he said, hell is other people. He said, hell is other people. And he didn't mean that he doesn't like people very much. That's not what he was talking about. He meant that as our freedoms collide with one another and cause conflict, all hell breaks loose because we quarrel and we fight and we try to take for ourselves what belongs to the other person as they try to take what belongs to us to live freely for ourselves. And it doesn't work in this relationship sort of way. Paul says, yes, you're free in Jesus but you are not free to do just anything. That sort of freedom is helpful to no one. And he also writes that living freely into your desires, especially sexual desires, as he was confronting here, that it's not freedom at all anyway. It's actually bondage. You see, living freely into your desires is simply to be bondaged, held captive in your sin. It's letting your sinful and selfish desires control you. Look at verse 12. Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all are helpful, Corinth. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. But I will not let these desires lead me back into slavery that Jesus saved me from. Christ City, we are free in Christ. But Christian freedom, it's very important to know this. Christian freedom is to be free from something and free to something. Christian freedom is to be free from something and to something. To be freed from sin by the power of God through Jesus Christ and by his Holy Spirit to, to no longer be enslaved by our desires, but to begin to learn by the strength of Jesus to fight those desires and put them to death. But that's not all. To be freed then to, to love others <clears throat> as God in Jesus Christ has loved us. To be freed to love God and live in relationship with him so that his love fills our heart. And we now live in freedom as we love others as Jesus has loved us. So you must glorify God 
You must flee sexual immorality first because your body isn't meant for a selfish pursuit of your own pleasure. It's not. Your body is meant to freely serve others in love. Second, we must flee sexual immorality and glorify God in our bodies because our bodies are meant for the Lord. They're not meant for sexual immorality. Look at verse 13. Paul said, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. Again, notice the quotation marks. You see them there? This is another quote from the Corinthians. This is not Paul talking. This is what the Corinthians were saying. And probably it's because, so in the original Greek text, there aren't quotation marks. We understand this from the context that we know about ancient Corinth and the way that we're understanding this passage. But I think the ESV probably got the quotation marks in the wrong spot. Uh, The NRSV, which I would have shown you if the the slides were up this morning properly, um, was that they put the, the quotation mark at the end of the first sentence of verse 13. So all of that is a quotation from Corinth. You see that? The Corinthians are going around and they were saying this. This was their slogan number two. Food is made for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy both one and the other. That's what the Corinthians were saying. The whole thing is what they were going around saying. And what they meant by that was that, guys, sex is just sex. It's not really a big deal. Because what's done in the body, it's going to get burned up anyway. So we might as well indulge sin physically because what really matters is an interior spiritual person. That part of us will go and be with God for forever. What matters is a spiritual thing because the physical thing is going to be destroyed. So we can just kind of indulge and it's going to be all right. You might be wondering what led the Corinthians to such a bad interpretation of the Bible. Well, I'll tell you. After Paul left Corinth, the Corinthians had been influenced by a popular teaching at the time called dualism. And dualism was a teaching that the exterior physical body would be destroyed, but that the interior spiritual person would endure forever with God. If there are those among the crowd that have done any philosophy and their undergraduate degrees, this is sort of a pseudo-Platonism or a Neoplatonism that was coming in to what was happening in the church. The physical, going to be done away with. The spiritual, going to last eternally all good. And this led the Corinthian Christians to believe that you could treat sexual immorality like eating a sandwich. Eating and sex, they're just physical actions in the body and the physical is going to be destroyed. So as long as you love Jesus on the inside, the spiritual person will be saved and will be all good. No problems. No problems. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. It's okay. Sex is just sex. But look at how Paul responds to this dualistic and over-spiritualized take on our bodies. Look at verses 13 to 14. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not what it's meant for. But it does have a purpose. It's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. See, Paul responds to the Corinthians with this incredible statement. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. That's good news. We're going to get into why that's good news in a second. But it is meant for the Lord 
Moreover, the Lord is meant for the body. That's unbelievable. The Lord Jesus Christ in a special way has a relationship with us and our bodies. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. See, first, Paul says the Corinthians are wrong about their it's just sex attitude because their bodies have an incredible purpose. Because your body wasn't meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And Christ said, this is exceedingly important. You see, our world says today, sex is just sex. Love is love. Our world says, live your short life the way that you want, because pretty soon you're going to be dead and it's not going to matter anyway. Right? So use your body the way that you want to use it. But our world is dead wrong about this. See, our bodies are meant for the Lord. We were created not just spiritually, but physically as embodied souls to belong to Jesus forever. That's what you were made for. Freedom and fulfillment today are largely associated with living freely according to your sexual identity. But you need to know that sex can't fulfill you. Not heterosexual sex, not homosexual sex, not your perfect fantasy sex, not any other sex. And to tell hurting and broken human beings who many of us are and were, human beings that are desperate for happiness and joy, to tell human beings like this, that to find fulfillment, you can live into your sexual subjective identity and experiences. To say any of that to these people is cruel. It's cruel. Because it doesn't work. It can't work. And it won't work. There is no fulfillment and no satisfaction that way. Because the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And this is good news for us this morning. Let me show you why. It's good news because if you are single and hoping that Christian marriage will satisfy your heart's desires, spoiler alert, it won't. It's not going to. But what can satisfy you, you already have available to you in the riches of a relationship with Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's good news for you if you're living with a sexual desire this morning that remains unfulfilled. Maybe you have a desire that as a follower of Jesus, you actually can't entertain. It's good news because the best thing is available to you. Sex of any kind can't fulfill you, but who you are in relationship with Jesus can. And it's good news for you if you've been lied to and told that a new sexual identity or gender identity will fulfill you. It won't and it can't. So the meaning and the purpose and fulfillment you long for is in belonging to Jesus Christ. It's in living in rich relationship with God by his Holy Spirit. The body is meant for the Lord. Paul even says more than this. 
He writes in this same passage that the Corinthians are wrong about their casual attitude towards sex because their bodies won't be burned up. They actually don't understand the physical very well. They've over-spiritualized their bodies. Paul says, your bodies won't be burned up. Your bodies are eternal. Because they will be resurrected to live with Jesus forever. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. See, what you do with your bodies matters. There's an awesome quote I was reading um, about this by a New Testament scholar. He said, resurrection destiny is precisely what gives meaning, responsibility, and significance to bodily existence in the present. See, where you are going matters. And it gives meaning and purpose and shapes the contours of the life that you live today because you will be eternally resurrected to be with Jesus forever. It's not just a body that will be burnt up and done away with. So Paul tells us, glorify God with your body and flee sexual immorality because number one, our bodies are made to serve others. Number two, because our bodies are meant for the Lord. And number three, we'll look at this now, because our bodies have been united to Jesus Christ. Look at verses 15 to 18. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Christ City, if you are someone who has put your hope and your faith in Jesus to save you this morning, the Bible teaches then that you've been united to Jesus. I want to show you that. I don't want you to just take my word for it. When Paul spoke to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 4, he talked about this idea of the church, which is the body of Jesus, which is indwelt by the one spirit of God. And he said this in Ephesians 4, verse 4, there is one body and there is one spirit. One body of Christ to which we are joined as a church. And the one spirit of Jesus that indwells us, not as individuals, but corporately as the church. And later in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the union between man and wife. And he uses it as an analogy to describe our union as a church with Jesus Christ. And in that passage, the Holy speaks through Paul in Ephesians 5, verse 29 to 32. And he writes this. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of Jesus' body. And then he quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, about the marital union. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
Then he says this really interesting thing at the end. He says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's using the marriage union created by God to describe the way that we become one with Jesus as members of his church. See, when God saves someone, he unites that person to Jesus by filling that person with the spirit of Jesus to dwell within them. I want to stop for a second because I realize we can say stuff like this and it's abstract and crazy, right? And it flies over our heads. Don't let that fly over your head this morning. When God saved you, he united you to Jesus. And he gave you the Holy Spirit to forever unite you with God. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning, the Spirit of God lives within you. Don't let that fly over your head. If you're trusting in Jesus, you've been united to Jesus in an indissoluble union to God by the Holy Spirit. You are united to Jesus and filled with the Spirit of Almighty God if you are trusting in Jesus this morning. That means the power and the majesty and the goodness and the love and the presence of God Most High is in you. Little old you. You can see why Paul would say that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Right? You have the most infinite, amazing treasure in the universe in us as we have been united to God by his spirit. And that means that no matter what burdens you carried in here this morning, no matter what your thoughts about God, God isn't against you. You may have come in here this morning feeling that God's against you. God is not against you. He is so for you that he's either willing to or has already united you to himself to the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? And Paul says here, you need to flee sexual immorality and glorify God with your body because your bodies are members of Jesus. And the word member, it can be translated limb or even organ. Paul's just getting really earthy with this, saying you are a part of Jesus' one body. That's who you are as part of the church. And he's saying, how then, if you're united to Jesus and part of his body, how can you tear off a piece of that body? How can you tear off a part of that body and force it into a sexual union in immorality? Because you are doing violence against the body of Jesus that you are a part of? Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And being joined in sexual immorality to someone else is a big problem. And Paul writes about this big problem in verse 18. He says, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 
Now, the church has had some trouble with this verse in our 2,000 years of history. What's Paul saying here exactly? Is he saying that, that sinning sexually is a worse kind of sin than any other kind of sin? Is he saying that God looks at those kind of sins and judges them differently than the rest of our sins? Right? Is he saying that the only thing that matters to our bodies is sinning sexually? But what about things like drunkenness, right? Or suicide? These things seem to be things that would affect our physical body. Like, what's Paul talking about here? So I want to show you what I think the answer is. I think there is some clarity if we consider the context. See, Paul's saying all along in this section, he's been hinging his argument on the idea of union. And I want you to see that. On the idea of becoming one with someone. He's shown us that our bodies were meant for the Lord and for union with him. He's told us that the church has become one with Jesus already by the Holy Spirit. But he also says, when he quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that sex is a unifying act. One that, that causes a union, not just between you and your spouse, as it was meant to. God's design for sex is in marriage, one man to one woman, married to one another. We've been saying it over and over again. It's not just meant, it's not just, it doesn't just unify there, it unifies elsewhere. It can also be abused and distorted and unite you to whomever you are sleeping with. It can be abused and distorted and unite you in a way that is contrary to the purpose that you were created for and the union that you were made for. Now, I think we know this. I think that we can, I think that we can call, um, I was going to say BS, but that's felt inappropriate and I just said it. So I think we can call BS on, 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 all, on, all, the, on all the sitcoms in modern media that say that we can live in a sexually free and promiscuous way and remain psychologically and emotionally intact. I don't think we can. I don't think we can. I think the Bible is clear about that. I think that we actually know that by experience and in ourselves. See, to unite yourself to others and be broken off from others over and over and over again, it's going to break you as a person. And if you're a Christian, it's going to hurt you even more because you can't grow in the union with Jesus that you were made for while simultaneously pulling apart the part of his body that you are and trying to unite it somewhere else. It's a sin that will hurt you and be against your own body. You know, I, I once received a set of beautiful chisels. And when I received this set, this set of beautiful chisels, I was a carpenter at the time. And I was at work building a bed. And I had longed for this particular chisel set. Such a high quality, beautiful set of chisels. Very expensive. And when I received them, I was so careful with those chisels. I'd be careful where I placed them making sure that there was nothing that the, the blade could touch in a way that would damage or nick that blade. I made sure that whatever wood I use it on was wood that was receptive to, to, to the chisel. There wouldn't be anything like a piece of stone or uh, a nail that would be in that wood that would break it. And the reason that I was careful with these chisels was because I had other chisels that I had not treated so carefully. Before this said, I had other chisels that in the course of my work as a carpenter, I used on whatever happened to be in the way. <laughs> sometimes chiseling through nails, sometimes chiseling through rock. And what happened was that these chisels 
used against their purpose, became chipped and broken, and the edge was bent over, and they were damaged, and they're close to being useless. And see, Christ City, our bodies were created for a purpose too. And the purpose is union with Jesus. And sexual immorality is sin against your body because it does violence to the union that your body was created for. It was made to live wholly and freely to flourish in union with him. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. So Paul says, and he's right, flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. I want you to think of the image. If you don't know the story, I'll tell you the story. But think of the image of Joseph in Exodus. What happened was Joseph, he was a man, he was sold into slavery and he rose in the ranks and eventually he was uh, working for one of the rulers of Egypt. And as he's doing so well in his job, this guy's wife starts to take a look at Joseph and see, he's pretty handsome and I want him. And she'd pursue him sexually. She'd chase after him. And there's this one day where she's chasing after Joseph and he runs away from her because she's grabbed hold of him. He flees sexual immorality. He leaves his coat in her arms as he runs out of the house. Christ City, I want us as a church to have this same attitude towards sexual immorality in our lives. That we would run from it. And I'm worried that we become lazy and indolent in the way that we deal with sexual immorality in our lives. Because we allow all these means of sexual immorality to come at us through social media, through our web browsers, through things that constantly trip us up in little ways that we kind of ignore, but that pull us away from union with Jesus towards union and sexual immorality. I want to encourage you to flee. Jesus said that it is worth cutting off the hand that causes you to sin in order to be pure and whole in your devotion to Jesus. It is worth it to do whatever it takes to eliminate sexual immorality from your lives. I want you to flee from, but I also want you to flee to. You're meant to flee to your union with Jesus. You're meant to recognize in your repentance that you're trying to fill up the void in your life with something that can't satisfy you and never was meant to. You're meant to run to Jesus Christ who can satisfy you, who you were made to be in relationship with, to seek him with all of your heart, to pursue him in love and obedience, to give thanks to him and to worship him with your whole being. See, we must flee sexual immorality and live for the glory of God because our bodies are meant to serve others. Our bodies are meant for the Lord. Our bodies are united with Jesus. And lastly, because our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verses 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You aren't your own Christ city. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Look, if you walk down the streets of Corinth that we talked about a moment ago, you would have ample opportunity to see a temple or a shrine. 
because they were all around. And as you walked down these roads and as you saw these temples and you saw these shrines, you would know exactly which temple belonged to which God because their deity was clearly portrayed at the entrance to that temple, right? The shrine had the image of that God on the outside of it saying, this is who this shrine is for. You want to go to Asclepius and find some healing? Well, there she is. Like, oh, I know which temple to go to. Here we are. But it's not that way in the church. Our temple is different. See, we don't have statues of Jesus outside of the theater this morning. That'd be a little bit weird, I think. Oh, you know, maybe we could do that. We'll just look at uh, our budget today at the AGM and see if we got money for it. We don't have statues of Jesus outside the theater this morning, but we have something far better. We have all of you who have been recreated in the image of Jesus Christ. See, we don't have a building that's a temple. We have a people who is a temple. You are the temple of Jesus. Therefore, to live sexually immoral lives would be to desecrate that temple. It would be to tell those in this city, as the image bearers of the temple of Jesus, you know, my God's okay with adultery. You know, Jesus doesn't mind sexual immorality. Jesus is okay with pornography. He's okay with me living according to an identity that's against his created purposes that he clearly states in scripture. Paul says, don't do that. Because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own. See, just like those ancient temples, they would have been consecrated to the gods they belonged to. They would have been dedicated to be used for the purpose of worshiping those gods. You and I have been bought for and paid for by Jesus to belong to him. We've been consecrated to become his temple. So Christ City, your body is not your own. I'm not sure there's a more offensive teaching in our world today than this one, that the Bible teaches that your body doesn't belong to you. See, this city says, my body, my choice. But God confronts this city and says, your body isn't your own. I created it for a purpose. And if you're a Christian, he raises the stakes and he says, I made your body for a purpose and I purchased it from sin and from Satan and from death with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It belongs to me forever. If you're a Christian here this morning, you were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to someone else. And that language of being bought that Paul uses, it's a language that was used in the ancient slave markets of Rome. It's the language of being purchased from an old slave master to belong to a new master. And just like in Corinth, when you went to those markets, you weren't purchasing free people. You were purchasing people who were enslaved at the time of their purchase. It was the same for us because when we were bought by Jesus, we were slaves to Satan. We were slaves to the sin that controlled us. We were slaves to going along with the pattern of this world, looking for life and fulfillment and meaning, but being lost in the lies that are reinforced to us as we all run the wrong direction as a culture. And Jesus bought us 
from that slavery to belong to him. He's a good master. He doesn't lie to you about your purpose. He won't mislead you about where happiness can really be found. He's a master who willingly died for you in your place to shed his blood to cover the penalty of your sin. He purchased your freedom with your own blood so that you can have infinite blessings instead of what you had before. So you can have hope instead of despair. And our culture is full of despair. So you can have, so you can have inheritance of eternal life with him instead of the meaningless existence that you had before. Struggling to find meaning and purpose with death and judgment as the end. He saves us that you can have inexpressible power, the power of Jesus Christ himself coursing through your veins with the power of his Holy Spirit. You're now his and his power is at work giving you life by his spirit, changing you to be like Jesus, empowering you for a life of eternal significance and good work for a life that he will surely accomplish and bring towards his desired end when he takes you into his kingdom to be with him forever. You see, you're not your own. You've been bought by Jesus to belong to him. And Paul's conclusion to all of this is, therefore, glorify God in your body. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And how do we do that? We glorify God in our bodies by using our bodies not for sin, but to love God and to joyfully obey all that he has commanded us. We glorify God by loving and worshiping and giving him thanks and joyfully obeying him. You know, my son told me the other day how he wished that there were no rules in this world. He's only five, and he already bought into the belief that freedom from constraint will lead to our happiness. But he and the rest of our culture, and like all of us have been, are wrong. See, down the pathway of freedom from all constraint lies sorrow and heartbreak and anxiety and depression and distress. But down the pathway of glorifying God with your body lies the freedom and the fulfillment and the peace and the joy that you were created for and that you long for. So this morning, if you're crushed under a weight of conviction, I want to leave you with hope. See, God can free you. Jesus Christ can save you. Jesus Christ can forgive you. Jesus Christ can fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to change you from who you have been to make you someone new. To give you hope and meaning and purpose. And all you need to do is come to him and say, I have been wrong and I have pursued sin and rebellion against you, and it's led me to disaster.
would you save me? And he will. That's what he promises. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we want to worship and praise you that you are the God that takes sinners dead in sin and washes them and sanctifies them and justifies them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and by the Spirit of our God. Would you fill us with hope this morning? Would you fill us with joy? Would you cause us, as we give thanks to you and worship you, to strive to obey you? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to put our sin to death and to be living as we truly are in Jesus? A new people that belong not to ourselves, but belong to him. Father, would you help us to grow in our union with Jesus, to grow in maturity and enjoy in the life that we have in knowing you as our God. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.